This podcast is brought to you by Intel vPro. Okay, so Abba, a question that's on my mind right now. Are we in the middle of a financial crisis? I'm not sure if we're in the middle of one, but we certainly seem to be at the beginning of one. Abba Badarai is an economics correspondent for The Post, and she's been reporting on the fallout of three American bank crises. SVB is now the biggest American bank to fail since the 2008 financial crisis. Regulators today abruptly closed Signature Bank. This comes as First Republic stock was dropping dramatically and concern was growing about another potential collapse. But then, over the weekend, another bank was close to collapsing. And this time, it was in Switzerland. Today, Swiss banking giant UBS agreed to an emergency rescue deal for rival Credit Suisse. The first few dominoes have definitely fallen. Uh, We're waiting to see what's next. The government has been very quick to swoop in with new regulatory measures, with new emergency lending measures to stop this from getting worse. But there's still a lot of fear out there that this is just the beginning and we could start to see other banks go down as well. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Monday, March 20th. I'm Arjun Singh, your guest host. Today, we're talking with Abba about bank failures, and we try to understand what kicked off this banking crisis that took the world by surprise. Over the weekend, we heard a lot of news about the Swiss banks, and particularly one Swiss bank, Credit Suisse. What exactly happened over the weekend? So Credit Suisse has been in trouble for years. They had $8 billion in losses last year. um, And this was a case of just mounting issues at the bank that were made worse by the the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, these regional U.S. banks a week and a half ago that really put things in motion, that got people to start looking at other weak links in the banking sector, and Credit Suisse emerged as one of them. Um, There was a huge infusion of money from the Swiss National Bank last week trying to shore things up for the bank. That didn't work. And over the weekend, it became clear that they needed to find a new buyer if the Swiss government was going to save sort of this major banking giant. uh, And UBS, which is the largest bank in Switzerland, ended up taking them over. And so how are people in Europe being affected by what happened to Credit Suisse? It's hard to know at this point, but there's definitely just a lot of tension and a lot of anxiety in the air. I'm sure people are probably moving deposits around at this point. Everyone is on high alert. Um, I think this emergency takeover at the last minute that was rushed through by Swiss authorities made people feel a little bit better about the immediate prospects of a huge banking collapse, but it's not really making anyone feel a lot better about what might come next. I think, if anything, people are even more worried that this could end up rippling out into the broader global financial sector. Yeah, and so let's go back a little to the beginning of that domino chain. Uh, Here on Post Reports, we talked about what happened to Silicon Valley Bank And then all of a sudden I hear news about another bank from California, First Republic, that seems to be in turmoil. What happened? 
So people started to panic when they saw the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, and they started to go to First Republic Bank and take out their money, which caused a classic bank run. Um, the bank, meanwhile, was sitting on treasuries or other, in the case of uh, First Republic, they were sitting on a lot of commercial real estate loans that had gone down in value as interest rates have gone up. And at the same time, following that, First Republic stock shares started to plummet. Their shares have continued to fall. They're down about 13% so far today, even as many other banks have rebounded. Well, that makes me wonder then, we talked about Silicon Valley Bank, then you hear about First Republic. These are both what I would say are regional banks. Are we going to see more of these kinds of crises emerging from other banks like that? That's where a lot of the panic is right now. And that's very different from the 2008 crisis when the most troubled banks were also the largest banks, the so-called too-big-to-fail banks that were eventually bailed out. This time around, we're seeing it at these smaller regional institutions, particularly so far, um, ones focused on the tech sector, where there's been a lot of volatility because of interest rate hikes. But there is a fear that even these smaller banks, if there are enough of them collapsing, enough interconnectedness among them that we could be in for a national crisis. And then there was news after First Republic stock started to fall that 11 major Wall Street banks were going to be providing some sort of an emergency loan. What was the calculus behind that? Like, why would all of these other banks, seemingly competitors, want to get into this? Well, it's in everyone's interest, especially the big banks' interest, that the financial system doesn't fall apart. And so we saw 11 major banks swoop in with billions of dollars in cash to try to help stem this from getting out of control, from rippling throughout the sector. And last week, President Biden had said that the government was going to step in, ensure all the depositors at Silicon Valley Bank. Did they offer a similar sort of thing for First Republic's case? Have we seen the government be involved in this issue? We haven't yet. And that's a big looming question, not just for First Republic, but for all banks. Um, you know, the FDIC, the federal government, insures the first $250,000 in any bank accounts. But beyond that, there are a lot of questions about whether whether those deposits will be insured, whether, you know, if another bank were to fail, whether the government regulators would step in to make a similar guarantee to those depositors. Now, Abba, if someone doesn't have more than $250,000 in a bank account and they don't bank with a place like First Republic or Silicon Valley Bank, should they be concerned right now about what's inside of their bank account? You know, I think there's a lot of anxiety out there, but no, if you have less than $250,000 in a bank account, you're completely safe. You are, that money is guaranteed by the government and there is no reason to panic. What is it about what's happening right now that it seems like we're seeing bank failures left and right? Well, it's a confluence of factors. Up until now, we've had a very strong economy, an economy that's been too strong. You know, as we've seen inflation sort of go through the roof in the last year, Federal Reserve and other policymakers have been very focused on bringing down that inflation by slowing the economy. And so they've done that by raising interest rates. They've raised interest rates eight times so far in the last year. It's a very rapid pace. And until now, it seemed like you know, that was just kind of trickling through the economy and not causing a lot of damage. 
All of a sudden, though, in the last 10 days, we've seen some of the ramifications of those rapid and very aggressive interest rate hikes. Um, in the banking sector in particular, a lot of banks like Silicon Valley Bank hold bonds that are usually seen as, you know, are tied to an interest rate. But as the rates start to go up, those longer term bonds become less valuable and less attractive. And so these banks were sitting on this pile of bonds that were suddenly undervalued. And that sort of feeds into the calculus. That combined with a bank run just led to this spiral of trouble. After the break, I ask Abba why I keep hearing one organization come up in every conversation about these bank failures, the Federal Reserve. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Intel vPro. AI PCs built for business with Intel Core Ultra Processors and Intel vPro are optimized for hundreds of AI apps and tools to boost user productivity, all with AI-powered threat detection. Learn more at intel.com slash itheroes. Well, and Abba, I want to zoom out a little bit right now and understand the Federal Reserve what is the Federal Reserve's exact mandate right now? And do they even see these bank collapses and failures as something that's within their purview to deal with? The Federal Reserve's main job is to control inflation. In the last year, we've seen inflation spike to 40-year highs. And so they have been singularly focused on bringing those price increases back down. This new set of banking issues, though, absolutely creates a new wrinkle in that. Now the Fed is having to weigh financial stability concerns with its interest rate tightening to make sure that it doesn't tip the economy into a recession or a more prolonged crisis. And so, yes, the equation has absolutely changed, and this is a new challenge for the Fed going forward. So this week, the Federal Reserve is supposed to meet. Do we have any idea of where the Fed is going to fit into trying to recover from this crisis? Have they said what kind of actions they're going to take? You know, if you'd asked me this a week and a half ago, I think everybody, the Fed chair included, thought that they were going to double down on interest rate policy this month and raise interest rates by another half a percentage point very aggressively. Uh, that's all changed. It's all up in the air. You know, there's a lot of doubt circulating about what exactly the Fed might do. I think people are pretty divided on whether we're going to see the Fed raise interest rates by a modest quarter of a percentage point or whether they're going to pause altogether while things calm down. You had mentioned how the Federal Reserve's interest rate hikes could make it more difficult for these banks that are carrying a lot of Treasury bills. On the flip side, though, I am wondering, should the banks have been better prepared for these interest rate hikes? Why does it seem like a place like Silicon Valley Bank was just caught off guard by that? Absolutely. Um, you know, that's been the commentary from a lot of economists and former regulators that Banks have one big job, and that's to guard themselves against these interest rate hikes that have been no surprise, that are sort of, you know, everybody, everybody's been very tuned in to what's been happening in the last year, but it seems like these banks weren't properly prepared for this. Um, so, yes, absolutely. There is plenty of speculation that banks were underprepared. Banks could have moved things on their balance sheets around to make sure that they had enough cash on hand. But, you know, there's not there's not a perfect answer here. And it it boils down to a number of different actions that banks could have taken and probably should have taken to prevent this crisis. 
You know, from a layman's perspective, I see things like bank failures. I hear words like recession, big concepts that I don't really understand, like money swaps and securities. It feels so much like similar conversations that were being had back in 2008. But how does what we're seeing this week and last week compare to back then? It's too soon to tell, but these are very different scenarios. Um, As I mentioned earlier, last time around in 2008, it was the biggest banks that were toppling first. This time we're seeing it start off in the regional banks. These are very different types of problems. But that's that's what's so difficult about these banking crises is that it's always where you least expect it. You know, it's not it's not a similar playbook to what happened last time and the time before that. And that's what we're seeing now. Well, and one thing I find so fascinating about these crises is the role of trust and confidence in banks and banking systems. Clearly, right now, we're at a place where people don't have that trust. But what can these regional banks do? Or is it the government that steps in to shore up confidence in the system? It's a little bit of both. And that's what the government is really struggling with right now. We see policymakers. We see the president addressing the public on a daily basis, saying, don't worry, the banking system is safe, your money is safe. But like you said, it's all about trust and confidence, and the American public doesn't seem to have a whole lot of that right now. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this on our show last week, but are there rules or regulations in place that were supposed to help shore up trust in banking? Absolutely. In the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis, we saw sweeping new reforms um, that were aimed at exactly this, at preventing another banking crisis, at making sure that banks had safeguarded themselves enough against a potential threat. And it seems like maybe those didn't go far enough. The Dodd-Frank Act put into place a number of sweeping measures aimed at making sure banks were properly safeguarded against unforeseen risks. That included a lot of measures focused on the subprime mortgage market, which was the cause of the last recession. That also included annual stress tests that were aimed at making sure banks could withstand a number of new challenges that might come their way. We saw these measures that were sort of aimed at cutting back on risk across the board, It's also notable, though, that a few years ago, President Trump rolled back a lot of those requirements, particularly for smaller regional banks. And so there are a lot of people who think that had a direct impact on what we're seeing today. Mm -hmm. And when you say they don't go far enough, is it that banks kind of like First Republic and Silicon Valley Bank had a different set of rules than, say, a J.P. Morgan Chase or a Bank of America? Why does it seem like regulators missed that this collapse was about to happen? That is such a great question, and that's something regulators, Congress, everybody is zeroed in on at the moment. But yes, um, these smaller regional banks did have a separate set of requirements and rules from the larger ones. And it turns out that in many cases, you know, these stress tests that banks have to submit to every so often weren't even testing for the impact of interest rate hikes. And so these these measures, while they're in place, maybe weren't broad enough and didn't go far enough in safeguarding against all of the potential factors out there. And after what we have seen, are there discussions now coming into play that say that maybe these banks do need to be held to those same standards and there has to be more transparency and accounting? Yes, the Federal Reserve has opened an investigation. They're looking into this and there is talk of perhaps imposing tougher rules and regulations on mid-sized banks. 
You know, Abba, I am hearing a lot of criticism, though, of the Federal Reserve and the way that they have gone about handling these interest rate hikes. I think one really prominent voice that I heard over the weekend was Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. And she was on NBC and she really laid into Jerome Powell. My views on Jay Powell are well known at this point. He has had two jobs. Uh, one is to deal with monetary policy. Yeah. One is to deal with regulation. He has failed at both. Right. Would you advise? Is that fair criticism of the Fed? You know, there's been a lot of criticism of the Fed, and this goes back not just to the current crisis, but to a year or two ago when inflation was mounting, and they just decided to sit back and say, you know, this is going to blow over. This is all because of the pandemic, and things are going to be fine. It took way too long for the Fed to realize that this inflation was a real threat to the economy and to act. And there's a lot of criticism that that early hesitation um, really set this economic spiral into motion where things got a lot worse than they perhaps should have. So, you know, what you, we've laid out, you said we could be at the beginning, but it's hard to tell. Abba, how are you kind of going to be reading these next couple of weeks? What are you going to be looking out for? And what should we as the public really be looking for to see if we should keep having confidence in the system? The thing I'm most focused on right now is what the Fed does on Wednesday. I think that's going to go a long way in not just shaping policy, but in sort of setting the tone for how policymakers are thinking about what sort of state we're in. There's a lot of fear that if the Fed were to pause and say, you know what, we're not going to raise interest rates this month, that that could be signaling that they're not feeling all that great about how things are going. And so people would take that as a very pessimistic sign. But I think there's just a, there's a lot of uncertainty out there and everyone's sort of looking to the next tea leaf to figure out what's coming down the line. And it's, it's not quite clear. Well, and so it sounds like once again, all roads lead back to Fed Chairman Jerome Powell. And Abba, thank you so much for joining us today and explaining all of this. Thank you. Abba Badarai is an economics correspondent for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show is produced by Jordan Marie Smith. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Rena Flores. If you want to show your support for the show and for the kind of incisive economics reporting we bring you, please subscribe to The Washington Post. It's a great way to support the work we do, and you get access to reporting like Abba's and the rest of our ACE Econ team. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Arjun Singh. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. This podcast is brought to you by Intel vPro. AI PCs built for business with Intel Core Ultra Processors and Intel vPro are optimized for hundreds of AI apps and tools to boost user productivity, all with AI-powered threat detection. Learn more at intel.com slash itheroes.